We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. What's happening? Which best-selling author or uh, labor activist that we admire the most is joining us on the show today? I know. It's just us. It's not, There's oh. nobody. There's oh. no superstars. Okay. okay. I might have to go in like two minutes. It was actually, it was remarkable. We had David Grant on uh, last week and it just so happened, I swear I didn't plan this, but uh, the podcast posted the same day that the the first trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon dropped and then it premiered at Con over the weekend. So I was like, I was like, oh my God, synergy. Exclusive. Must credit the distraction podcast. You know what he did? A multitude he, production for defector.com. He said some newsworthy shit in the in the podcast, and then like other people interviewed him like <laughs> it was all about the Knicks. Like the ringer interviewed him for like a like a print piece, and I was like, no, we interviewed him first. Fuck off. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um Yes, that was cool. I'm also happy to just be talking to you. It's nice to have guests and have to, you know, be on my best behavior and all that. And uh, but in this case, I can be as stupid as I want to be. Yeah, and there's yeah, no way yeah. to judge me, but you and Eric, because to me, the listeners not real, abstract, like not even really a concern of mine at this. Like point. I can tell you the story of like my mother-in-law getting drunk this weekend. It was Please great. Do. I would love it if you did that. My mother-in-law, she's beautiful, a little German woman. She never ever drinks. I have seen her be drunk. Maybe two or three times in my life. Now, understand, I have known this woman since 1999. I've been married to my wife for 20 years. So this woman never drinks. Not at your so, wedding? Not at any of that stuff? She might have had a drink at my wedding, but like I was shit-faced in my right, wedding. Okay. <laughs> like, like, you I know, saw, like it's your I wedding. Whatever I saw that night, buddy, I got no idea. Right, because also it's your wedding. It's like, it's just such a whirlwind. You don't really, you're not really paying attention to anything. Yeah, it's true. I definitely remember like the wedding from The Godfather better than I remember the wedding that I was in. Yeah, yeah, because the other thing is once you finally like once the ceremony's over and once you're married, it's almost like okay, I don't have to worry about it. fuck all. Like I, we we're married now. She's not she didn't run away yeah. from the altar. My friend my friend Joel described his wedding which had like two difficult family dynamics as the feeling after he got married, he was like I felt like I had survived a gunfight. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, all right, cool. I'm looking forward to that. He like told me before we did it. I wouldn't say it was that, but it definitely what you said is definitely true. Like at some point you're like, I am off the clock. Davey's going scotch mode. And that's yep. like, you know, I, yeah. I learned it. And like you sort of like you're glad handing people and it's like like you kind of care that you, it's nice to see them, but like it's all about you. Like you're the yeah. bell of the ball. So it's like it's I'm not gonna be, be like I'm not gonna like go to someone at my wedding and be like, "How was work this week?" Like, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> like, it's me. It's my night. Fuck off. Yeah. So, and then so anyway, so my mother-in-law, she comes over. It's their fiftieth wedding anniversary. Holy shit! That they've been married fifty years. My own parents will have been married sixty years in December. They come over uh, with some of their relatives from Germany. Very very nice people. And we say to we say to the maid, you guys want some beer, some wine. The Germans want beer, obviously. And my mother-in-law has a small glass of white wine, but because she never drinks, that's all she needs. In an instant, flush, just red. And then she's like, <laughs> and like telling us like dirty <laughs> German expressions and stuff. And it was fucking great. Because I'm like, again, I never see this woman drunk. It's like seeing a fucking comet when she's drunk. It's like. So did the accent come out? Was she just like suddenly well, speaking to you like in like the German, the German voice? Well, she already she has a German accent anyway. Okay. She moved here when she was in her twenties. So like okay. she and like the, the great thing is that she 
She learned English here when after she got married in her 20s. But, you know, you learn English, she learns regular English, but she doesn't, like, know, like, expressions. Like, mm-hmm. it's raining cats and dogs or whatever. So, like, she, they'll either be, like, foreign to her or, like, she'll have, like, expressions of her own. Like, a lot of times she'll be like, what the shit? Like, she says that a lot. <laughs> it's great. This is great, really like, good. sort of her own version of English that I, that I enjoyed quite a bit. The German versions of it, where they're like, it's raining so much, the ducks have become Jewish. And you're like, I don't, that's, you shouldn't say <laughs> no. that. No, 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 no. She's not that kind of German. I know, I, swear. I know she's not. I'm sure I, she's- <laughs> I promise you. Uh, we should talk about sports, because uh, as yeah. we are recording this podcast, now, I can't guarantee uh, that the Celtics will come back from 3 nothing down against the Heat uh, <laughs> to win that series, but they sure as hell don't look like they're going no. to do it. They so, want to go home and post on Instagram. Yeah, it's remarkable. They're getting the shit kicked out of them by the Miami Heat, who, have if they have will have dispatched both the Sixers and the Celtics and make them like look really embarrassing in the process and get their coaches fired, both of them, in the same postseason where the Sixers also choked on their own dicks and their coach got fired. That's a pretty damn good postseason for yours, truly, Roth. Very, yeah. very enjoyable. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of legacy franchises and franchises with neurotic and high work rate on social media fan bases just absolutely eating shit uh, the last couple of weeks. Which is yeah, because I would have had to deal. I almost had to deal with another Celtics Lakers finals. I don't want that. Oh. You know how many fucking Bill Simmons tweets I would have had to like see, even though I don't follow him anymore. No, thank you. Where's his rank? Where's Rui in the AC Green Pantheon? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah uh, uh, thank goodness. We definitely dodged a bullet there. The Heat are not what I would call a fun team to watch, but they are an admirable team, I think, in the sense that they have that uh, thing that certain types of like good and intermittently great teams have where if you do not give them a good version of yourself, they will absolutely beat you. And they'll beat you in a way that like reveals all of the ways in which you were uh, deficient. And that is yeah. like, if you are cheering against them, that is a fucking nightmare. Like that is like <laughs> literally, you know, showing up in school naked to take your finals dream level of like exposement. But if you don't care and you're just watching them beat like a Bucks team that doesn't quite seem to have it together and a Celtics team that clearly believed it could coast back to the finals or not coast back to the finals, but that it would all be able to, you know, just sort of sew back together the way that it had before. It's definitely... I don't know. I was going to use the word inspiring. That's not right. It is intriguing to me to watch Jimmy Butler and the force of his Jimmy Butlerness just tear an absolute hole in all of those storylines. Yeah, I find a, I, I find watching them remarkably entertaining. And I, the other thing that alarms me as, a, as I've watched them is not only have they been entertaining in terms of their hustle, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, but also they're shooting an insane percentage from three in certain yep. games, like at an unprecedented level. And I love watching teams make threes that's fucking bitches yeah it's so, pretty like, good they're doing it the old-fashioned way too it's like, there's definitely a sense of like steph or like not this postseason but like i mean clay thompson at his very best where you're just sort of like well there's no way to defend that like you're too far away from the basket like everything in basketball that you learn says you don't need to get a hand up if the guy is 37 feet away or whatever 
The Heat are just getting, these are like guys with two-way contracts getting open threes off of possessions with five passes in them. Like yeah. that to me feels, and I feel like such an unbelievable, like just like the ghost of Bob Ryan, like 200-year-old man saying this. But it's like, that's how you're supposed to fucking do it, dude. Like that's cool to watch like a, a play get executed that well and deliver the result it's supposed to deliver is, I don't know, there's something satisfying about it in the way of like watching those like YouTube videos of a guy cutting a bunch of parsley really quickly or something. You're just like, yeah, masterful work. Hats yeah, off. and I, I don't find it, I don't find it anachronistic. Like, I don't feel like I'm watching five Charles Oakleys take the court yeah. all at the no, same this, time. No, you're definitely not running, like, it's all, you know, very modern actions. It's just, like, executed to, like, the peak of fundamental basketball as, like, you and I were taught it right. 20 and, odd years and, ago. And the wild thing is that it's it's so weird when you see cliches like come true and you you come to believe them yourself after you've been rolling your eyes at them you know your whole fucking oh, yeah. fandom life you know and but they're a team that uh they truly don't beat themselves and if you make a mistake they will fuck you for it like yep. you make one mistake they they'll go on a 10-0 run and you're fucked and like they're the sort of team where i'm like i'm like i can't like i hate myself for thinking like hey wait a second is grit real yeah. Like a scrapitude, yeah. an actual thing. Like, do they actually want it more than the Celtics? And you know what? They do. Right. Like you start finding yourself speaking in Mark Jackson's voice and you're like, no, I want to turn this off. I do not want to say mama where there goes that man. But like yeah. they're, you know, I think the thing with the, I think the grit point is correct. I think it's also the thing that I've been trying to remind myself of with them is that they're also a real basketball team. Like they're not winning strictly on the force of will or on what Eric called Jimmy Butler's powerful weird guy energy, which is like right. very real. Like that is definitely helping. It's also like they're the best coach team in the playoffs with the possible exception of the Nugs, who I think have done amazingly and have looked amazing. And I think Michael Malone is a great coach too. But to see the ways in which the Heat have counterpunched, generally being... I guess it's probably about a wash with the Knicks, but having been the less talented team in two of the three series that they are about to walk away with. Right. Is like, this is the other annoying part of it is that like the grit thing, it's real, it's annoying. So be it heat culture, also fucking annoying. The idea that like everybody goes there and then they just get in like much better physical shape and add three years to their career that like suddenly Kevin Love's going to get another contract or whatever. Right. I don't necessarily care for that. And yet, you know, if you are inclined as a fan, even a non-aligned fan, as I am at this point, because I don't really have a team that I, I cheer for, I want to believe that there's a way for any team to, like, fix their shit to such a level that that's possible for them. Not every team's going to have an easy, as easy a time getting guys to go there as a team in Miami, but right. I want to believe that it's like, if you build a system that works, then you can just plug literally Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin into it, and it'll function the way that this is functioning. I think it is possible. It just happens to be that you need an extraordinary coach. And I think Eric Spolstra yep. is an extraordinary coach. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the heart of what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about grit and we're talking about scrap too and all that stuff. He's just a remarkable coach who gets, who knows what his players can do and gets the most out of the things that they, they do well and minimizes what they do poorly. And that's kind of, that's kind of it. And then the other thing is Butler, you know, we talk about him being weird and, you know, he still has 
I think to some people, he still has that reputation of being a red ass who, yeah. you know, talked his way out of Minnesota because he was, you know, a dick to everybody in practice and all that stuff. But he's a remarkable basketball player. He's a ton of fun to watch. And, you know, this has been the case since 2020 when they made the bubble finals where, you know, I feel like I'm watching a truly great player. Like whether or not he wins a ring, like I know how the NBA works. So you got, you have to win the ring to sort of get into the quote unquote pantheon or whatever the fuck. But he absolutely belongs in all of the, you know, the sort of the pregame sepia tone fucking images yeah. that go on the screen and all that stuff. Like he's a truly great player. He's one of the great players of his time. And I I really have enjoyed watching him do what he does. Yeah. He's also, I think the other thing, I think that's correct. The thing I would add to it is that in the ways that he is like both a great player and a guy with kind of an obnoxious personal brand that is like very much a part of the way that he's understood in public, the brand has not, superseded in any way the greatness of him being a basketball player. I think that for guys that build that public image in the NBA, you know, like superstars who have, uh, you know, a nickname that everybody uses. I'm thinking basically like a Kobe sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're you can talking about. drive yourself insane and like just sort of, I mean, Kobe was always insane. That's like the sort of the magic of Kobe that he was like airballing game winners as a rookie in the in the playoffs and stuff like that like he always was Kobe he always right. believed that I didn't like it or admire it but it is you know it's what he was that Butler has this kind of like idea that you know he works harder than anyone else he wants it more than anybody else he's you know like you can't talk shit to him because he will absolutely get your ass all of which is the sort of thing that you would, if you were like building a player's brand from scratch as just like a vain alpha athlete type, you would want all of that. And yet you don't see Butler overextending himself necessarily. I don't think you necessarily get the, in the way that Kobe, you know, whatever, won a bunch of rings, like is in the Hall of Fame, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. There were moments where when he, he was so Kobe that he actually fucked his team. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just like he was telling his own story on his own fucking hero's journey, and it screwed things up for them. Butler is like, for a guy that is such a notable individual player, I think is also a really good team player. And he clearly fits into this concept without, like, bursting the seams with the force of his own, you know, muchness. Right. Well, there's, I mean, there's two things going on there. One is that, you you know, the sort of the athletes you described, there's always that danger that, their inherent uh, surliness and uh, antagonistic nature comes out off the court too. Mm-hmm. That they're that they're fuckers. That they're not just fuckers on the court. They're fuckers in general. They're bad. Right. They just can't turn it off. There's really nothing that to indicate that Jimmy's that sort of person. And the other thing is that you know when you were talking about you know the way that he interacts with his teammates, the demands that he makes. You know, I mean, it sounds an awful lot. Like Jordan, and I don't mean in terms of greatness, and I don't, you know, I don't want to get in a goat argument or anything like that. But when you have those players who have a very, very, very high standard of themselves and put it out to the team, and they do it in a way that the rest of the team accepts. I'm not talking about like Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is like, right, I have We're, a standard, and you have to figure out what the standard is. Yeah, and I'm just gonna do it via fucking sign language that you don't know. Like right. that's, and I'm gonna get mad at you every time you don't like successfully read my mind. That is, I think that's a really good comp because it's the exact opposite of that shit. Rogers is so up his own ass at this point on his idea of like, this happens to quarterbacks all the time, I think, but where he's so like on his own trip that it almost sort of doesn't matter who else is out there with him. Like he'll get mad at them when they don't live up to his standards inevitably. 
But like everyone is going to not live up to his standards because that's his fucking brand is that right. he's the one guy who gets it more than anybody else. Yeah, the standard has to be clear. And then you have to tell your teammates how they can achieve the standards. Like, yeah. I think even Kobe was like that. Like Kobe yelled at his teammates because MJ did. Like that was like mm-hmm. Kobe's entire career was basing himself off of Michael Jordan. Right? Hilariously, he would also never acknowledge that. He was just no! like, no, man. <laughs> just such a Kobe move. Yeah. Like, no, I'm the first Kobe Bryant. And it's like, ah, I don't know, dude. <laughs> uh, and then over on the other side of the bracket, we know for certain that the Denver Nuggets will uh, be in the finals. And uh, they'll be favored against the Heat, but boy, everybody else has too. And I want to talk about uh, Nikola Jokic because uh, I watched him crush the Lakers in the Western Conference finals. And I realized while I was watching him that my eyes still don't believe what they're seeing because, and our own Israel Daramola got at this today uh, on the site when he talked about like, I'm not used to a guy who looks like that being able to do that. And I'm not either. I'm so used to watching guys like Bryant Reeves and Greg Ostertag in my life. Yeah. But the idea that a guy who looks like Jokic can do the things that he does and yeah. make it look so easy and so it's a smooth. Certain type of, I think Israel used the phrase bruise prone or like easily bruised. Yeah, yeah, because he's but always he's, fucking bleeding. He's got like weird like cuts lumpy, on his arms. Scratched up whites. But yeah. like, they don't really like have haircuts. Like their hair has been cut, but there's not like a discernible strategy there. It's just no. kind of like no, that, he's he's like a big blob and yet he's so elegant like he's so smooth and and so casual. It's fantastic to watch. At, but I'm still like I don't I don't believe this. The comparison that I have in my head where he's concerned, and it's different because like, you know, different players, different styles. Having watched Tim Duncan against the last team I cared about, the New Jersey Nets in the NBA playoffs, but, you know, watched him for a long time. Uh, I was always surprised when he made a mistake in the playoffs, even if that involved missing a shot. And with right. Jokic, you actually look at his box scores. He had some games uh, early in the series where the Lakers took him out of his shit in the fourth quarter. That was obviously not the case in game four. I mean, he killed them. He right, and then the Jamal Murray was there to clean up, clean up the mess anyway. Right, so. I mean, they're a really good team. But Jokic... Every time he shoots the ball, I expect it to go in. Anytime the ball is near him, I expect him to get that rebound or to steal it. The passes, I expect him to see stuff that I don't see because he's better at playing basketball than I am at not just playing it, but watching it. And that is I don't, that is a very, very rare level for a big man to sort of get to. That like Shaq did everything, even later career Shaq, where he was just mostly getting by on being big and he wasn't still like faster than everybody else which he was early in his career right Jokic just seems at this point to be so on point like so like fully inhabiting his own weird style of playing that I just I'm not even at like a level of expecting stuff I just sort of watch him do it and I'm like that looks like such a bad idea the three that he hit late in the game in game four where he basically was body bumped chest to chest with Anthony Davis was knocked back several feet and then took that sort of like water polo shot where the ball is just basically cocked back directly over his head and he had one foot on the ground and hit a three like what do you even fucking do about that like you've not only have you defended it as well as possible like he took the give up end of the shot clock shot in the crucial moment in the game and it didn't touch anything but the very bottom of the net like that is as a center too as a center is like, a seven foot 290 pound man he's taking so, it up I, it reminds me uh and here's where the weird comp is but um 
you know, I, I spent a lot of time disliking Draymond when I, and when I watched him play, because for all the Draymond things, you know, kicking people in the nuts and yeah, but you know, I, I, I had a real appreciation for him last year when I finally was like sort of looking at what he was doing on the court. And the reason that I wasn't noticing so much of what Draymond was doing well on the court was because he looks like such a fucking dork on the court. Like he runs like a dork. He plays like, like the middle school bench warmer that everyone else in the team just instinctively fucking hates. Like, yeah. Cause he's like like, getting people hurt. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, which he does do, but he doesn't seem like he has the, body control he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing and yet he absolutely knows what he's doing more than anybody else on the court and that's where yeah that's the part i think that you in some ways you know keep bringing it back to the spurs but that like they had this run where they were you know they were boring they beat everybody and then that sort of the second renaissance you know the renaissance for them when they sort of came back and it's like late career uh you know duncan manu and, and parker yeah that that to me I felt good about it, but I also it made it was the first time I think I felt old sort of watching sports. Obviously, it was a different style, but it was a sort of it was I think I wrote at the time that it was like realizing that you liked Steely Dan suddenly, you know, just like <laughs> horrifically like finding a gray hair. But I was sort of like, actually, it's cool that they don't make mistakes and always move the ball until they find the open guy. And that's like well, where, you know, you learn to appreciate Draymond, even though he doesn't do the shit that like when you're a kid and you want to be a basketball player, he doesn't do any of the stuff that you would want to do. Like he doesn't do like a cool dribble drive pull up thing. Like, and when he does it, it always looks like he's on roller skates and about to fall down. And yet like he's still whatever. I mean, he's just the perfect facilitator for a team. That's good to me. Uh, let's take a break and we'll come back with David Roth of, uh, Defector, uh, Andrew McGarry of Defector. But before we go, this podcast is sponsored by to go, the Chipotle of French food. What do you have on your brie bowl? Some imitation duck confit? A bit of pickled figs, perhaps? Or maybe a splash of Cote de Rhone? Make France your own, only at To-Go. That's G-E-A-U-X, To-Go. We'll be right back. I thought you were going to be doing, uh, if it was like a Philadelphia-based takeout chain. Uh, hey, it's Drew. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and to never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. But when we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burned out. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. So if you find the idea of starting therapy daunting, you're not alone. It can be expensive, frustrating, can take a long time. And even if you can find a therapist that's taking new patients, you might have to wait weeks or even months for your first appointment. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on a journey of self-discovery right away. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and affordable. All you have to do to get started is create an account and fill out a brief questionnaire, and then BetterHelp will match you with a licensed therapist who you can start messaging with right away. So if you've been thinking about trying therapy but aren't sure where to start, BetterHelp is a great option to explore. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash distraction today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash distraction. The Distraction is also sponsored this week by Sunsoil, a certified organic employee-owned CBD oil company from Vermont. 
Sunsoil was a like day one, like back before we were defector, they made it possible for us to do the unnamed temporary sports blog. We honestly might not exist without them. Also, it's a good product though. So now that I've gotten my bias out of the way, I've been using it for a year. I use the tincture, it puts them under my tongue, it helps me sleep. They've come out with some gummies. They taste pretty good. They work for me. I get generally restful sleep and wake up exactly as normal as I was when I went to bed. Their products are meant to help you relax, fall asleep, and stay asleep. They've done that for me. They grow all of their hemp and make their CBD oil at the farm by naturally infusing hemp in coconut oil, which involves minimal processing and better retains the whole plant benefits. Sunsoil CBD gummies are vegan, gluten-free, and USDA certified organic, which is the highest standard for quality and traceability. They don't contain any artificial sweeteners or unnecessary additives like food coloring, and you could choose between berry, lemonade, and cinnamon flavors. I have the most experience with berry. You can get 50% off your first purchase at sunsoil.com slash distraction with code distraction. That's sunsoil.com slash distraction with code distraction for 50% off your first purchase. And we're back. We're back with just raw. It's just raw to me. And, uh, I want to talk about uh, David Zasloff's uh, speech at BU, but before we do that- Oh, I love his work. I love let's, Max. Let's talk about the Dodgers Pride Night fiasco. And this is gonna, I, I have to lay this out for listeners who aren't aware, so it's going to take me a second, so just bear with me. But the Dodgers are holding a Pride Night on June 16th of this year. Very normal shit. Plenty of teams do it. The NHL had a bunch of weird shit with Pride Nights, but like other sports seem to have their shit together about it. One of the advocacy groups that the Dodgers invited were the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, who have done a lot of good work uh, in the gay community since the 1970s. But they also, as a little flair, they dress in non-inspired drag, and they give themselves names like Sister Betty Does... And what was the what was the one McKenna like? McKenna Bro? loves uh, Sister Desi want to do it. Oh, ooh, yeah. subtle, subtle. Everybody else is kind of like we get, we get it, Dave. It's fine, but he's uh he's kind of just like fab thirty. Love it. <laughs> anyway, it in twenty twenty three, that's pretty normal shit for a gay rights advocacy group. Except Senator Marco Rubio, who and I cannot stress this enough is not from California no. and does not represent the state of California in the United States government. Neither of his families lives in California. No, no. He condemned the group as being anti-Catholic and demanded the Dodgers rescind their invite, which they did. The Dodgers caved and they disinvited the sisters because they were, in their statement, their original statement was that they were a quote-unquote source of some controversy and the team didn't want to quote-unquote cause a distraction on Pride Night by inviting, you know, gay people to it. Because what a distraction gay people would be. Yeah, that language that you use when you're winning and principled. The idea of being like, well, if I was a distraction at any time and anyone was offended by it, I would certainly apologize to them at that juncture. Fuck yeah. off, man. But that you is lost. such like, that is such a, it, it's such a standard play I see at time and time again where, it's like, well, we don't want to be part of a political controversy. Right. So we're going to do the civilized thing and capitulate to one side of that controversy. It's also and such a classic like institutional response to being confronted with somebody disgusting being an asshole. Do you know what I mean? Right. That like th which is I think sort of one of the defining challenges of politics at this moment is that any of these guys it's not like Marco Rubio has any qualms about anything. 
Do you know no, what I mean? Like, it's Marco fucking, fucking Rubio. He didn't get into politics to be like, this is demonic. Like, he's a fucking Ivy guy. He doesn't think any of that stuff. No. But, like, he'll say it. Of That's course. his job is to say it now. And so him and that fucking butthead with a fax machine who calls himself the Catholic League, it's like one guy. That's right. Were able to, they were able to get this thing repealed. And then, though, this is like to the Dodgers' credit, right before we, re- well, whatever, the day before we recorded, they were like, yeah, we talked it over. We're inviting the sisters again. Sorry. They're on the AIDS quilt. Marco Rubio lives in fucking Florida. Like, <laughs> eat shit. Which, hats off to the Dodgers on that. Yeah, I mean, the the thing there is that it's surprising they actually turned around and did the right thing instead of just being like, well, we wish everyone would play nice, like instead yeah. of that weird shit. And so everyone lives happily ever after, except for Rubio. And or, the people in the mentions of the Dodgers post announcing this who are that's right. never like, had it worse. Like Twitter user dystopian government COVID survivor who tweeted, the Los Angeles Dodgers went Bud Light on us. They went Bud Light on us. Did did the Dodgers go Bud Light on us? Us being America? Did they yeah. go Bud Light on us? <laughs> are, they, are they pulling a, a Bud Light? It's just the whole thing is that um, New York Times uh, columnist Jamel Bowie wrote about this uh, a week or two ago. He wrote a whole thing about how you know Ron DeSantis and other Republicans are like are campaign are campaigning against like the woke mind virus and all this other shit and. What Jamel's point was, was like regular people, Republicans included, are like, I don't know what the fuck you people are talking about. Like what? Because these people, all of their policy issues and platforms get laundered through like Elon Twitter and Parler and Truth. And like they just they pick up this vernacular that makes no fucking sense. Yeah. To anybody it's been the weirdest thing too because i think if you go back and look at like 2016 trump he's he's saying other people's lines and he's following his own sort of like bullies instincts and stuff but it's very different than you know he's obviously he's gonna get that nomination again and i'm sorry to bring trump up it's like the ultimate buzz that's fine you can bring him up but i think he's like as a man that has like no mind of his own and is just strictly like a teddy ruxpin that plays tv sounds right like it makes sense that he would be reflective of this that he's been watching like you know he's watching tucker and all that just in general like the extent to which you get steeped in conservative media you need like a fucking decoder ring to understand anything that he's talking about at this point. Right, because what does Bud Light, going Bud Light on us mean? Well, then you have to know that Bud Light had a transgender spokesperson. They had like an influencer that they sent some cans for a TikTok Right, and then everyone who hates trans people, because that's their (laughs) new way of hating gay people, they picked up on that, and then fucking Kid Rock did a tweet where he fucking machine gunned a can of Bud Light because he's so mad at Bud Light, which, by the way, is just Bud Light. It's a fucking beer. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Also, so you have to where know- did they- They've been mad about this for two months, Drew. They're still doing it. Yeah. So you have to know all that idiot context when, like, if I'm poor and living in Ohio, I just, like- I just want to know if, like, they'll lower my car tax payments. Like, that's it. Right. Or, like, is my water safe to drink? Like, you've made it very clear that, like, you stand against trans people existing, and that's cool. But, like, a train full of fucking poison tipped over outside my house, and you keep yelling at me about, like, the Bud Light trans influencer lady. No, but it's, like, it's not even, like, it's not even, like, I'm not even putting Democratic talking points in these, like, rural Republicans' mouths. Like, there are very basic things that I think sort of 
standard issue Republicans want. They want low taxes, They and they want to be promised low taxes, even if those low taxes won't be for them. They want to be promised less government because government people are bad and all that shit. Mm-hmm. And that's all the stuff that's worked for Republicans. But when you transmute all of that into this lingo that is fucking utter gibberish, then it's like, where's where am I going to connect with these people? How am yeah. I going to understand all this? Because like, like we we joke about like having brain poisoning and brain worms from being online. Whatever. We're just on Twitter. Big deal. Like we get sort of in jokes that we can't tell, we can't explain to our loved ones because they're not on Twitter either, <laughs> right? That's pretty simple Speak shit. For yourself. I've never been more normal than I am. Right, now. right. But this is this is different because it's like you're asking people to vote for you based upon all the non-joke in jokes that you have traded right. with all your shitty friends on memes, like parlor. Yeah, all all your non-funny memes that you've shared with people on a platform that has like five people on it. Right. You know? Yeah, so. I think that that's and you know, it's weird because I think that to a certain extent, you and I both grew up around Republicans. My parents are, you know, MSNBC types, but it's a very Republican town that I grew up in. And I know that that was the, your milieu where you moved around as well. And like, I think that the one thing I would add to your understanding of what Republican people want, they also want to live in white neighborhoods that like there of is like there's real racism baked into it. I think, yes. though, that like. The way I don't know if this is has to do with the nationalization of politics or with cable news or with some combination of you know just that what happens when you're in this like deranged game of telephone that all of that stuff has become much more explicit and I think that you know when people used to say I want to live in a safe neighborhood that was coded and it wasn't less racist for being coded but it was coded and at this point I think there's now this faction you know the bit of the visible part of that iceberg is basically like, I want to be able to shoot anybody that makes me uncomfortable. I want to like to feel safe and to feel like self-actualized and, a, you know, whatever, a part of the society that I believe in. I need carte blanche to do whatever I want. And that includes violence. That includes like acting, you know, as judge jury and executioner like not just like physically and you know in terms of obviously that's terrible too but just like judgmentally that like that's the issue with the i think a lot of the anti-trans stuff most people especially if you live in you know whatever exurban nashville where like you know tennessee's passed some of the worst laws in the country against this they will never see a trans person with their own eyes there no. aren't that many of them in the united states well that's why they're a perfect target because it is. you won't because encounter I, them so you won't have to really know them personally you won't have a personal connection that that makes a huge huge difference and you know, they're, they're such a small minority of the population that it's hard for them to gather around a supportive block to fight right. against those people. So that abstraction definitely, I think that's right. And I think that abstraction makes it easier because you're not bullying a person who you can see, they're, you're bullying somebody else's kid that you'll never meet. And you know? you're doing like, it with an, with a can of Bud Light as your effigy, which is right. where the disconnect comes. It's from. still some shit that you buy at the store. That's the part that's amazing about it. Like there's, you go and you yell at like the worst paid, least armed public servants that our society has given you, maybe, but more likely you are sending a tweet to Keurig telling them to stop being woke. And <laughs> that's like, at that point, sorry, dude, like you're, it's over for you. Like you're <laughs> not coming back. 
And I think that that's like, you know, whatever. So if all of these people to win a primary, if you have to show out for the biggest fucking psychopaths that don't even live in your state, like if you're competing for the attention of the 10,000 meanest people in Florida, like you have to be prepared for the fact that normal people are going to see that and be like, wow, that seems like a really unpleasant human being. Yeah. Because like DeSantis goes to Iowa and is like, what's your name? Okay. Like, Great. you know, like, like, Sounds no, woke. all right, see ya. Like, it's absolutely zero fucking charm. Like, yep. no, not even like, like he's trying, but even when he tries, like he just fails utterly. Like my, my colleague at SF gate, Dennis Young called him Rogaine Scott Walker. And it was perfect. <laughs> utterly fucking perfect. By the way, yep. speaking of bad people, we, let's talk about Dennis. Yeah. Let's talk about it. <laughs> no, no. He's we love Dennis. SF gate. He's yeah. very good. You know, he's got curly he's hair, but we like him all the same. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO, David Zosloff, uh, oh, <laughs> who, uh, you know, he's a studio head, so he's a bad guy right now because the WGA is on strike, which means I'm on strike. I'm a member of WGA West. And, you know, he's one of the people who wants to suppress writer wages. Also, uh, as we're recording this, uh, this is the day that HBO Max becomes Max because, like, I guess branding your whole streaming service is HBO like it might scare off people who don't who are afraid of quality television or might think it might be expensive. I honestly think that's it. I think that like at some meeting they were like, it seems too good. Yeah, right. Right. It's like like, oh, I can't afford a Lexus. So we're gonna call all Lexus's Toyotas from now on. But it's also the sort of thing where it's like if you're it's just television. Like the idea of being like, I don't know, like I I'm not in the mood for anything as heavy as HBO Max. Like just say that you have the fucking Bazinga show on HBO Max now. Like you built this brand. Just right. say if you want, sh- we have Bazinga Boys and like, you know, House Flippers Provo if you want that. But we also have Succession and the Sopranos. Right. There's stupid shit on HBO Max already. Like yeah. you can watch Succession, like I do, but you can also watch like fucking whatever selling Malibu or the fuck. Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, Zazov went to give a commencement address at BU. And what a great choice by Boston University to have him. Yeah. Because he but you gotta give the kids what they want. So he got he got students booed the shit out of him. And we're gonna <laughs> play amazing. you that video, but we're also gonna uh we're gonna we're gonna play you that audio. But we're also gonna play you audio of the speech itself because it's so shitty. Yeah. And we're not we gonna to play, play you that much, but it's enough to let you know what kind of public speaker David Saslov is. Yeah. So let's get to the the heckling first. Eric is going to uh, play us the the clip of the heckling. Roll Eric, that would you beautiful please do that? Footage. Some people. <laughs> Some people will be looking for a fight. Oh, Amazing. you want to fight, bitch? You got to fight. He sounds like he's at a <laughs> Bruins game. <laughs> the rules. Oh, yeah. You know why? Because because uh, they they did pay your writers. The the if you if you didn't hear it clearly, the students are chanting "pay your writers" and they're doing it in the like in the Let's, Let's Go, Go Steelers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're doing it in a sporty. They're doing it in a sporty fashion, which makes it all the better. Like you know, Roger Goodell. Is very good at being booed. Like, yeah, he's he's, he's a veteran of the process. <laughs> you say it's his life's work. This motherfucker, he's never had a person say no to him in like fifteen years or some yep. shit like that. He's just like going to Spago and doing like all this stupid like CEO shit. 
and you know, yes, sir, yes, sir, and all that stuff. So like, so you know, when people are booing him, like his, you know, the reaction is like, great, good job. <laughs> like, okay, if that's what you, yeah, if you make more than a hundred million dollars a year, you should have to deal with an old-fashioned Yankee Stadium asshole chant every now and then. Uh, absolutely, but look, if those graduates had listened to the man. Maybe they would have gotten some priceless advice, Roth. Let's listen to a little bit of the knowledge that our man was dropping on them. Drop a gem on them. Yeah, let's do it. It's not going to get you to the promised land. To be successful at anything, you've got to do the work. you got to do work. I can't believe that you have to do work to be successful, Roth. I, no one told me that. It's, it's really good advice from a man who's completely supine for like 14 hours a day. Right, right. So it's like, look, you got to do the work until you rise up to CEO, and then you don't have to do fuck At all. At that point, it's pretty account. much foot massages. <laughs> yep. Let's hear the rest more. You've got to commit yourself to really work hard. And finally, the fifth thing I learned along my journey. Only five Five. five I mean, the first four, really important. Eat a good breakfast. Uh, you know, drive Say a nice prayers, car. Take your vitamins. There's another yeah. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, I'm sure the first four, they were utterly fucking wrapped, and they're like, oh, my God, I hope there's a fifth thing. I really want there to be a fifth what thing. What were the first four that the fifth one is put forth effort? I hope it was all just instructions for, like, yeah. how to make, like, avocado toast. Right. <laughs> Always use sunscreen. Yeah. Uh, neither a borrower nor a lender be. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Play the rest is that there are a lot of big moments that will define your life. And you've got to look out for them. How will I know, Roth, a man who's been married and has had three children, how will I know those were big moments in my life, Roth? I won't. Well, were you working hard during them? I, I, you know what? This is America. I think I had to work during yeah, them. Yeah, that's true. That's... How would you have kids if you didn't do the work? Definitely, like, my wife was giving birth to my daughter, and there was blood all over the walls and stuff like that. And I was thinking, you know what? This isn't that big of a deal. Like, yeah, <laughs> meh. You know? Like, I just, I didn't have that that instinct. I didn't have that dog in me to realize. I just thought of an amazing thing. What yep. if you said cheeseburger is beastruder? Well, look, he's got he's got some examples for us. Let's hear some examples of these big moments. Maybe like maybe one of them will be a job interview. I don't know. Mm, Let's find out. Which is a, that's a big moment. You've got to be ready. Mm. On the professional side, it could be a job interview or an audition. A presentation to get funding for a startup. Okay. Stop. That, that's Stop. enough. I think we've heard enough from David Zaslov. But the uh yeah, those are all those are all cool moments. Like if you had a presentation for a startup or even if you just had the chance to meet a David Zaslov in real life. <laughs> right. Like will you recognize the import of when you have to stand next to your boss's boss in the fucking cafeteria <laughs> to get a goddamn fish taco yeah. for lunch. Reminds me of the time I saw Chris Knopf at an empanada place. <laughs> Did you that actually? Was a, he, he, was, he, um, he seemed a little pissed that they didn't recognize him. They like asked for his name, and he was like, Chris. He's he's a legendary asshole. Yeah, he's he a bad is. guy. He's canceled. But no, the, he's can't, uh, the kids the fuck out. What's great about the, and people can't see this, Obviously, if you can hear what Zaslav is saying, you know, you know how, exactly how whack it is. But yes. 
the, the video is great because it is cutting from him and he's wearing shades. He's wearing like the same Ray-Bans that Tom Cruise was wearing in Risky Business, but like sort of projecting the same uh, ominous uh, sociopathic vibes, but the opposite uh, aesthetically. And right. then they cut every now and then to just the most impassive Zoomers that you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> like they look heavily medicated. They're, well, they're all hung there. over. It's yeah. graduate. They're all hung over as fuck. They all want to get out of their robes because it's they're hot as shit, even if it's sixty degrees outside, mm. right? So like like my my graduation speaker was Stephen Breyer, now famous for not leaving the Supreme Court when he should have. But like like nobody gave a fuck what he had to say. Like he's a Supreme Court justice. He's really important. But everyone was like, "Can we just get the fuck out of here and go to the after party?" Like yeah. that's all they wanted to do. It is a kind of a brutal gig. Like it always seemed like it would be like decent work if you could get it because presumably you get paid. You get to go there. You know, dude, you, know. you do. I've I've had to give speeches at colleges. I got paid. It was nice. But you have to know that the people you're talking to like want to leave yeah they don't like is they're they're young they're just gonna go as soon as you're done talking they're gonna go drink six beers and finger each other or whatever and that's cool like i want them to do that that's what it's all about my move was i i had to speak to freshmen because it was a common oh that's I, fine they're not the, they're not the post more was a common read so they they were forced to be there they had to be it was the beginning of the school year not the end and then also like the second i start swearing on stage they're like oh okay He's he's a normal person. He's not. Well, he's not going to give me five tips on when I should recognize that I'm about to have a job interview. I absolutely didn't. I I I've preached about the importance of self awareness. Uh, <laughs> that's what I did. I swear to God. And then you know I I was not I was not very good at that at the time. I feel like you'd be there. very good at that now. But I'm assuming they were getting young Drew. They were getting younger Drew, who like you know is still like doing Kissy Susie Colbert and. A lot of shit he shouldn't have been doing. Hey, it's time for a guy of the week. Ooh. Every week we remember an athlete if you are not a Hall of Famer necessarily, but it's the guy who makes you think, hey, I remember that guy. And this is a tough guy. one, Roth. But do you remember legendary Broncos kick returner Eddie Royal? Remember that guy? I do. Eddie Royal. Yep. Eddie Royal was borderline fantasy ownable sometimes. He was no Eddie Kennison, but who no. is? Was but Eddie, Eddie Royal was cool. I have a real soft spot for uh, like fourth or fifth receiver and dynamic punt returner is one of my favorite types of uh, football player to be. The, well, the other thing is that I, th- I believe Eddie was also a kickoff returner. And I wanted to mention him because the kickoff returner as a job is uh, perhaps in imminent danger because yeah. the NFL might uh, approve a rule where you can call a fair catch in the, in the field of play for a kickoff and that's a touchback. And like that will be the end of kickoff yeah. returners. You're not gonna have. You're not gonna have. I mean, I wonder how many time. kicks were actually returned, even last year. I mean, it seems like most kickers now, especially this was not the case when all the kickers in the NFL were also like uh, auto mechanics during the off season. All those guys right. who just boot the ball through the fucking uprights from wherever is nothing to them. Well, uh, that was the other thing was that at the, in the beginning when they changed a lot of the kickoff rules, like they wouldn't have the wedge and. And they they brought the touchbacks out to the 25. Like at the beginning, what coaches ordered was to have their kicker kick it through the end zone, like to have everything be a touchback. And then coaches were like, wait, we can do even better if we make sure that our kickoff goes to just like the two or three yard line, like if mm-hmm. it goes inside the five, because then we force the return, we force the, we force the other team's hand. 
that part of the strategy will go away and we'll go back to just endless touchbacks yeah. over and over. Are you a, this is maybe uh, off topic. Are you like a, a Devin Hester Hall of Fame guy? I, I'm, I'm a guy where I'm like, if they, I think everyone belongs in the Hall of Fame. I kind of feel the same. Like, I don't take it seriously enough that I, like, he was just so cool. I'm like, yeah, put him in. Put Dante Hall in too. Like, they yeah. were the coolest guys in the league for That's, a few it, years. It's fine. Like, Bo Jackson is in the Hall of Fame, but like, Bo Jackson's a Hall of Famer. Like, <laughs> yeah, Bo Jackson like, had like maybe 1,000 yard season, maybe none. I don't care. You yeah, know? whatever. Like, it's everybody that watched him remembers him. That's always my standard too. But I mean, if it were up to me there'd be like a whole albert joey bell like wing of the cooperstown experience and that's not uh yeah why not because i don't i don't need to do in the whole bargain i was like well it's not the whole very good like sure i guess my whole thing is that i'm going to the hall of fame museum to remember some guys that's what i'm there to do one of the ultimate guy remembering experiences like so as many memories as you can put into those museums i'm happy like, yeah. remind me of fucking Eddie Royal. It's all good, man. I, I haven't no been to Canton, but Cooperstown is so perfect for that because it's like it's like a, a town in a Hallmark movie, except for right. all the stores that would be selling like hot chocolate and fudge are just selling like baseball cards and memorabilia and hats from like 19th century minor league teams. It is a absolute guy remembering paradise for that. That's right. Yeah. Like, that's what you want. And they're not inducting any guys anymore. You got to do that. Right. Like, I need people. You have to populate the fucking museum, even if they're guys who were shitty or did shitty things. Like, you have to do that. Because yeah, otherwise, they're not it's not going to be to see, like, home run Baker's ghost. Like, you have to, like, or right. even to see, like, Craig Biggio. Like, letting in cool guys that had, like, high peak short careers is, to me, I don't know. It's I, I, like the most on brand opinion I have is, like, yeah, more guys in the Hall of Fame, but for sure. Me- uh, time to open up the fun bag. These are real questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. This one's from uh, Howard, and this is a this is I not like, your this is not your Howard. No, no, it's not my best friend Howard. We're this not seeding it. This is one of my my favorite questions though, because it, it's it's good, but also it might be tough. He says, "What are your favorite team equivalent of guys? Like, hey, I remember that team." I like to think about the 2014-2015 Atlanta Hawks team that finished with the one seed and had their whole starting five named Player of the Month. And those Texas Rangers teams that made back-to-back World Series, I also think the 2021 Tennessee Titans will be one of those teams soon. No one will be able to name a single player on that team. Do you have any teams, Roth, outside of your, like, your, your, outside of the Mets, Nets, you know, your sort of, your fans ones that you remember distinctly? Yes. Uh, I mean... Obviously, yes. But I mean, I have like a number of them. I love the call on the Rangers team because they were, I mean, in some ways, in that Royals team that won a World Series against the Mets in 2015 and went to the World Series in 2014, they haven't like been five, they haven't been above 500 since. That there's like those teams that have that, that sudden sort of spike where everything goes right and they're perfect, but like there's no margin for error. Right. And then goes away right away. The I'm not going to get the years right, but the Pirates teams that were uh, like sort of the during Andrew McCutcheon's peak, so you know mm, last okay. decade, that were you know the second or third best team in the National League. They just happened to be in the division at the same time as the Cardinals, and so they were. They I think they played a total of like two wild card games during this two or three year stretch where they were really fucking excellent the entire time. 
I loved those teams and the fans were so great. And that ballpark everybody talks about as being like the place to go to watch a baseball game. The teams have been miserable more or less ever since. They got a terrible owner. They've been playing great this year, but I, I don't think it's it's quite sustainable yet. I'll give you two. Do One- you remember the game where they they rattled Johnny Cueto so much that he like dropped the ball on the mound for a balk? <laughs> like they were like at another level of being like not just like happy to be there, but like a factor in games. I remember that team very, very fondly. That's cool. I got two football ones. One mm-hmm. um, is the Bills team that lost because of the Music City Miracle. And the remember, yeah. reason I remember that team so vividly was that Wade Phillips, aka Chokozuna, he was the <laughs> he was the head coach at the time, and it was the year Doug Flutie had his big comeback. Yeah, I was going to so- say. I know it was like not a Jim Kelly quarterback team, but they haven't had a notable quarterback between Jim Kelly and Josh Allen. Right. So they like Doug Flutie comes back. He has a really nice season. Chris Berman is just fucking flinging sperm all over the camera. I was going to say like levitating four feet above his chair. But waiting in the bullpen was Rob Johnson, who they had signed and who was going to be sort of the presumptive starting quarterback at some point. Well, late in that season, Flutie gets hurt and, Rob Johnson takes over, and as they go into the playoffs, Wade Phillips is like, you know what? We're going to have Rob Johnson you know, start. I'll, I'll tell day. you what. Yeah. So, <laughs> and everyone was like, what the fuck? How could you do this to our little boy Flutie? And by the way, Doug Flutie's a fucking awful person. Piece of so, shit. Total Absolutely piece of like shit. Trump inner circle yep. dork. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. He, he will absolutely be part of a fucking state welfare scandal the way that Brett Favre is right now. <laughs> yes. He's got he's got the, the grit and the want to. So they go into they you know, they go into Music City and they're playing the Titans and the Titans are favored, but they're gonna win that game with Rob Johnson and you know, Wade Phillips is gonna be validated. They don't win that game. So I remember that one. And then also the Jay Cutler Bears, specifically the one that went to the NFC championship game. And a lot of people forget, and I'm just assuming that because I am I think I'm special. A lot of people forget that Jay Cutler took the Bears to an NFC title game, but they lost to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in an absolutely fucking unwatchable game. It was like 10 to 3 or some shit like that. Yeah. Just absolutely fucking brutal. So I remember yeah. that team. Those football teams that are like, de- like that demonstrate the limits of what a football team can do. I've always like found because there's like, you know, there's great teams and you sort of like very seldom do you get one that goes like wire to wire the way that like the Chiefs, I think, really were like incredibly good this year. They were incredibly good when they previously won the Super Bowl. The teams that sort of, uh, like max out that they just deliver like the hundredth percentile outcome, but they're not quite good enough. There's something uh, sort of almost profound about that. The first year I wrote about football, it was I, the team that I was into was a bad bills team. JP Losman was the quarterback. You do, you do go back to the JP Losman. I love JP Losman because he's such an incredible type of dude. Uh, But uh, the guy type of dude but i mean just like a weird human being but that team they were like six and ten i had to write little nfl previews every week for athlon sports which is like one of my first real paying sports writing gigs it's a long time ago i used to buy their fantasy guides yeah i wrote for their uh for their nba preview thing i that was like a gig that my my old buddy bruce herman who i wrote baseball cards for got me that's cool uh like early days shit but 
writing about that Bills team every week, it was like they beat every team that they were better than and they lost every team that they were worse than. But it was like they did it because like that was the most they could do. Like they were actually a, just a shit roster that played pretty well, probably still coached by Wade Phillips, although who knows? It could have been Joron or any number of Chan Gailey. Like there's a million guys. The position was a revolving door. But well, I, I like pronouncing it Joron more than Joron. Joron, yeah, Joron. The, he was like, like a oh, the Godzilla's awful, enemy, Joron. The Dark Lord Joron. <laughs> yeah, he was, that's Voltron's cousin. Uh, but the, like, that team to me was like, you know, it. it's nice to remember, first of all, how hard this is, but then also to see kind of, like, to see the limits that clearly uh, sort of, I think, is illustrative if you're watching stuff. Like, it's not the sort of thing where you're like, they're losing because they don't want it more or whatever. It's like they're winning because they're better than the Jets and they're trying harder and they're losing because they're worse than the Dolphins. And like, that's just what it was. Like, there's something clarifying about it. It is nice to be reminded how hard these sports are. Yeah, like, I, it's, it's the older I get, the more hard. I like it, too. Like, I remember I remember walking into the, the Vikings locker room. Uh, this earlier this winter, and I was like, "Oh, well, I can never criticize pro football players again." <laughs> like these, I, I I can't imagine having to play football against these people. This would be fucking impossible. Like I would yeah. fucking die. Yep. By the way, that's not going to stop me at all from no, shitting on NFL. It teams. shouldn't. This is. I mean, whatever. That's that's the gig. Is unfortunately, like, I get to be the guy that like muses about it, and you get to be the guy that's like, "Your team is shit." like for a month and a half every summer. But it's, com- it's coming, baby. Eric Silver is our producer. Brandon Google is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com right now. Just go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. And you can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-PANERA-0. panera it is the to-go of sandwiches. <laughs> wow. We'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye.